Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I am Autumn, the older sister. And my fact of the day is I am very easily overwhelmed by too much need. Earlier today, I was doing the pre-show talks with Ivy. My boyfriend decided he needed to text message me. And then all of a sudden, my cat wanted something. And I about lost my shit. Nobody was like super urgent or anything. It was just the fact that three people needed things from me at the same time just way way too much i was one of those people that apparently needed something so that that part of my role today was overwhelming you with stress of just being present and alive but anyway i am <laughs> ivy the, the younger sister and uh, today since we're talking about coping with reduced functioning i'm going to share my thing of the day and my thing of the day aside from my brain not working worth a shit is that so normally when I get up in the morning, I like make myself breakfast, I make myself coffee, but I have had a very long week. I've worked every single day this week and been running around like crazy, like a chicken with my head cut off. And so when I woke up this morning, I thought I don't have energy to, uh, to make myself breakfast before my first appointment of the day. But I knew I needed to eat something because nothing is more embarrassing as a massage therapist than for your stomach to start gurgling and making weird whale sounds as you're working on your client in silence. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I got to eat something and I need my coffee, but I don't have time or energy to make coffee. So my breakfast this morning was a handful of chocolate covered espresso beans <laughs> and a handful of hard boiled quail eggs right out of the can because that was my way of dealing with my reduced functioning today. She's like, can't make real eggs, can't make real coffee. Yeah, fuck it. I'll just eat some chocolate covered espresso beans and chase that down with some hard boiled quail eggs because that's a, that's a healthy breakfast. That sounds well-rounded, right? I have no idea. I didn't even know people ate quail eggs. I'm mildly concerned. I also think like of quail as being like, I don't know, wild birds that like nest in the grass. So I'm like thinking of these like ninja people out like creeping through the grass, <laughs> stealing quail eggs just so you can eat them for your breakfast. It's really weird. I I, I did not think of it in those terms. Uh, I do a safe seat. I, I do associate, God, I am really reduced functioning right now. I do associate quail eggs with being fancy because my last roommate used to buy all sorts of fancy things from specialty stores and she would sometimes buy quail eggs that usually didn't even get eaten but you get this tiny little pack of like six quail eggs and it's like 12 or 13 dollars for it so I, <laughs> I i always thought of it as being fancy people food and they're so tiny and they're so expensive i'm like i would never do that but then since calvin's chinese we go to the asian grocery stores a lot and apparently they sell hard-boiled quail eggs in a can. You get like, I don't know, a couple dozen of them for two bucks. So to me, now they are no longer fancy people food. Now it's canned food. And we always <laughs> keep some on hand for those days when he or I don't have the energy to cook anything and 
we're in a rush, so we, we just keep we just keep cans of quail eggs around in case we need a quick breakfast. Why I paired them with chocolate covered espresso beans? Well, I mean, I wanted the caffeine from the espresso, um, but that I will admit that those two things did not go together very well. That was a bad idea. Quail eggs <laughs> and espresso beans don't don't taste good together. I would not recommend. I would not recommend at all. <laughs> You know, but when it comes to reduced functioning, sometimes you, you just, you do what you do. You're just lucky that's what you had there. And it wasn't like a leftover Twinkie from 1994. You, you did what you had. <laughs> I don't even remember the last time I had a Twinkie. So I would definitely not have that laying around. But yeah, I would have other combinations of weird shit laying around. I'm just glad that like, we still had food in the house because I haven't gone grocery shopping in a bit. I'm glad I at least had that. So I'm not just like standing around eating raw potatoes. <laughs> Been there. Done that. So in, in our last episode, to go ahead and dive in here, in our last episode, we talked about basically the reality of reduced functioning. And that a lot of us that struggle with mental illness or come from a tra trauma background, we have reduced functioning. And in that episode, we really talked about the really basics of learning even how to spend your fucks. We called them fucks. There was spoon theory, and we decided against that. So if you want to know all about fuck theory, I guess it would be, <laughs> go ahead and uh, tune into our last episode. But on this episode, we wanted to jump into the nitty gritty of how do we, how do you really cope with it? And so Ivy and I kind of put our heads together and we came up with some various ways that we cope with it or have heard others cope with it. And so one of the very first things or one of the main things we identified in the last episode was that if you do have reduced functioning, you do have reduced resources. And so you really need to start identifying what is worthwhile to spend those resources, to spend that mental energy, the physical energy, the time, the money, whatever it is, what's really worth it and identifying your priorities. So the very first coping skill I want to look at is once you've got those priorities identified, you really need to start setting up a structure and expectations around those priorities. And really what that translates into is setting boundaries. And I suck at setting boundaries. So I'm going to kind of let Ivy start us out here. Boundaries is kind of my thing. I'm generally pretty good with boundaries. And essentially, boundaries are demonized a lot of times, less so now than they used to be, but it's still something that people have a hard time with. There's still a lot of guilt that goes along with setting boundaries, but a really good friend of mine once described it to me in a way that I think is perfect and that can remove some of that guilt from the idea of it. And that's that when you are setting boundaries, all you are doing is teaching other people how to treat you. That's all you're doing. You're not being mean, you're not being confrontational, you're not being aggressive. All you're doing is teaching people how it is acceptable to treat you. And that's why boundaries are so important because we should all be doing that. We should all be letting people know that like, no, this is what I'm okay with and this is what I'm not okay with. And we really need to normalize doing that and to encourage people to have those kinds of boundaries especially when you're dealing with somebody who is reduced functioning or you are reduced functioning yourself. And part of the first thing in doing that is in order to set boundaries, you have to decide what's actually important to you. And when you're setting boundaries with people, um, which is generally what you're doing when you're setting boundaries, you're first deciding who is truly important to you. 
and you're investing in the people that are important to you. And the first thing that we think of is like loved ones, whatever you want to term that as those close intimate connections, but that also applies to people that you have to interact with. If you have a job where you have to interact with other people, and most of us do, well, those people are important to you on some level because you are reliant on those people to some degree for you to be successful at work. So you have to prioritize first and foremost, who is important to you, why they're important to you, what, the, what roles you're playing in their life, what role they're playing in your life. And then if it, this is a person that's not important to you, maybe it's time to reevaluate how much energy and time you're giving to people who aren't important to you or who only drain you. So that's the first thing that you want to look at is just assessing, you know, whether or not this is worth your time and resource investment. And a lot of people do have fears around setting boundaries, either because of people pleasing or because of guilt or because they were just taught, you know, you should just be a good person and things like that. But sometimes it can cause really unnecessary stress for you. So we will start out with more superficial. We'll start talking about setting boundaries at work. So the, the big question that you're asking here initially is how much of yourself how much of your fucks, how many of your spoons, however you want to phrase it, how much are you willing to sell of yourself to build other people's pyramids? Because unless you're completely self-employed doing something you're truly passionate about, you're likely working in an environment where you are part of an organization that is making money for other people and not just exclusively for yourself. You're making a paycheck in a setting where lots of people are working towards a common goal. So how much of yourself are you willing to sell in order to build another person's pyramid? I know you have an analogy for, for, for this. Yeah, work is actually one of the few places I am very good at setting boundaries. I am not a lazy person. I enjoy producing things and being active. I fucking hate working. I hate having a job. I, I hate building somebody else's pyramid and spending all my resources on that. And I have worked jobs in the past where they have said, hey, you know, can you work overtime? And I'm like, no. I am very happy to say no, no, I cannot work overtime. Never, ever in all existence will I ever work overtime. And people used to give me a bunch of shit for that. They're like, you know, but it's time and a half and you're going to get more money. And, you know, I tried to explain it to them. I was like, you know what? My life is a pie. Okay. I have this much pie. And I fucking love pie. I love pie. It's like my favorite thing in life. And in order to work, I have to sell half of my pie so that I can get money to buy, you know, real life stuff. And then when you want me to work overtime, you want more of my pie. I don't want to sell my pie. I want to fucking eat my pie. So no, I'm not going to work overtime. I don't care how much you pay me for my pie. It's my pie. I already gave you some pie. Stop being selfish with the pie and let me eat the rest of my pie. That is my analogy for that. And I have very much used that and it's my fucking pie and I'm not going to sell any more of my pie than I have to because pie makes me happy. So yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes it becomes a negative feedback loop because you sell all of your pie and then you have no pie. So then you have to, like, you're buying pie on credit so that you can sell more of your pie to buy other things that you need. So it becomes a, a negative feedback loop and just you spiral out and you never get to eat any pie. And that is, that is very sad. I would be sad if I never got to have pie again. That would be devastating. Uh, I'm also very good at setting boundaries with work. That is, uh, 
<clears throat> part of the reason I am in the profession that I am in, because when I was working, you know, just a typical job, my first full-time job was at a jail, working eight-hour shifts, and then I worked in the corporate world for a while, and sometimes, as a salaried worker, I would have to work more than eight hours and I would get really angry and I hated my life and I was miserable because I am very greedy with my time. It is my time and I work for an income. Now I, I at least get to enjoy the work that I do, but I work for an income. Otherwise, why would I work? I don't want to have to give up any more of my time than is absolutely necessary. And now I'm a self-employed massage therapist so now I really have control over my time. And it's like the best feeling ever. Setting boundaries with work for me went pretty extreme to the point where I was like, I'm not even going to work for another person. I will work for myself and then I will have as much control over my time as I want. And then I will only sell pie, my pie, if it is necessary to do so. <laughs> I'm going to eat more of my pie. I'm not going to sell half of it anymore. I will sell like a quarter of it. 75% of that pie is mine, all mine. I won't share. <laughs> You shouldn't have to share your pie. It's so sad that society <laughs> takes our pie. But it's worse. You know, it's, it's worse for salary workers too, because at least with jobs where you get paid time and a half for overtime or paid at all for overtime, at least you, you know, you're getting something from selling that pie. But salary workers are just like, yeah, I know you're selling me half of your pie, but I'm also gonna take more of it and give you nothing for it in return. Just so you know. Uh <laughs> never work a salary job. Never, never, never. And you know, there is truth that we all have jobs and we all are constricted because I mean, none of us, I doubt. I mean, if you are individually wealthy, like I've said before, please give us money. We also would like to be independently wealthy. But since most of us are not, and if you're listening to this, you're probably not, we have to have a job. And so there is limits to what we can do. But the reality is right now, it is a workers market out there. People are hiring, hiring, hiring for so many positions and so many jobs, and they are so desperate for people. If there was ever a time to negotiate raises, to work on your hours, to make demands of your employer, now is the time to do it. I mean, you can't just outright demand they give you a paycheck for nothing or anything that extreme, but now's the time to start making those negotiations because if they don't want to make them, you're most likely going to find an employer who will who will work with you, who will give you a little bit more money, who will work with you on the hours, whatever that is. Right now is a great time. If you need to set boundaries at work, it's a worker's market. All right. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is setting boundaries with family. And that one can be much harder for a lot of people because a, a lot of times in society, we're kind of taught that like family means everything and blood means everything. So if you're connected to this person genetically, and if they're part of your blood, then you should go out of your way to do everything for them that you possibly can. And so there is a lot more guilt associated with setting boundaries with family. Uh, this is not something that I struggle with because I don't think of me setting boundaries with family as me being an asshole and I don't feel guilty about it because there's a lot of toxic people in my family. It is not my responsibility to take care of or accommodate or cater to toxic people just because they are family. And I want to encourage other people to take that same stance. I mean, it's, it's your choice. If you have a dynamic with your family and even if you feel drained, but it's important to you to give to your family in that way, all the more power to you. I don't envy you because that seems like that's that's rough. But 
I think a lot of people, if given the opportunity and given the permission to set boundaries with their family when they're being toxic, would like to. In my own family, the biggest thing has been setting boundaries with my parents. And that looks very different based on which parent I'm talking about. With my father, it is zero contact. My boundary with him is very, very strict. And that is, I do not let him in my life. Because he is so such a toxic presence, and because so much damage has been done, and because I cannot trust him at all, I just don't let him in my life at all. And I have been guilted by people for not forgiving him, not giving him another chance. Oh, he's getting older. You should, you know, let him back into your life. I'm sure he's changed. I doubt that, uh, especially the older people get. A lot of people get more and more set in their ways. I don't like the man. I don't care that he's family. That does not matter to me. It means nothing. And for me, it's self-protection to not let him into my life. But with my mom, it was very different. We did mend a lot of the, the trauma that had happened between us. But I also understood that my mom had patterns of dependency and she was kind of always looking for an enabler. So with, with my mom, when she would want things from me, a lot of times I would say no. And it wasn't because it would have killed me to give it to her. And it wasn't because I was being spiteful. It was because I understood that with her, you had to have, have firm boundaries. Otherwise she would completely lose self-sufficiency. And that would make her depression even worse because she would want to take the path of least resistance and she would want to just have every have somebody do everything for her and completely take care of her. But then she would be so much more fearful of doing things for herself and she'd get so much more anxiety and she would have so much more depression. So to me, I thought of it as being a positive thing for both of us because I did not want to become her enabler. And I didn't want that much responsibility. And it wasn't my responsibility to have as her daughter. But I also wanted her to have a feeling of self-sufficiency and to be able to do some of these things herself, even something as simple as calling her doctor's office to make an appointment for herself. All of those things were things that seemed small to a lot of people. But for how incapacitated my mom was for so many years, being able to do those things for herself actually gave her a lot of sense of accomplishment when she started getting back on her feet again. So sometimes be, having those boundaries is maybe cutting somebody out of your life completely, regardless of whether they're family or a friend that you've known for a really long time. But sometimes setting those boundaries is not just for you. Sometimes setting those boundaries is also for the other person so that they can stand on their own two feet and accomplish things so that they can feel more competent and to feel more capable. How, how have you handled boundaries with family, Autumn? I know that's been a little more difficult for you than it has been for me. I, uh, I don't handle boundaries with family. So, so for example, with our father, Forrest, you officially do not speak to him. And you like sent him a message at some point and you said, you know, these are my issues. And for these reasons, I have chosen not to talk to you because you are a negative influence on my life. And, and you set this out and you're like, this is a boundary. I've set this. And what I did was I just failed to talk to the man for a few years. <laughs> That's what I did. I just kind of ghosted. I, I suck. I suck at setting boundaries in my personal life and my family life. I am, I am such a people pleaser and I am such an enabler. Oh God, I'm a horrible enabler. So I suck at it. I think I think, though, that it makes me admire so much more people that can set boundaries. And I'm not going to give any any names out because I don't you know, want to call anybody out. But I actually, I know a young woman in my life right now. And I am so 
fucking proud of her. You know, she has some issues in her family. And and one of the biggest ones is that her mother is alcoholic. And and the lady that my friend, she's only in her early 20s. And for whatever reason, her family has expected that it's her job to take care of the alcoholic mother, which I'm sorry, it's not fucking her job. The mother can choose to get help. And it's not her 20-something-year-old daughter's responsibility on top of working full-time, on top of going to college full-time, to take care of her mother. It's her mother's responsibility. And so I am so proud of this woman because she is she's doing this. She's balancing it. She's still in connection with her family. She's still talking with them, but she is finding a way to negotiate these boundaries so that she doesn't have to just ghost her family or cut them out of her life so that she can still try to have meaningful connections, but so she's not overwhelmed. And it's definitely a struggle for her. And I see her struggling and I see the difficulties she has and I feel for her so bad. But again, I am so proud of her for being able to do that because it's nothing I've ever been able to do because it is such a, a balance trying to do that when you're when you're not just cutting somebody out of your life or you're not just ghosting them and when you're trying to stay active in their life especially when you have that other family pressure uh it's it's just so it's so difficult and there's so many factors and it's so stressful but she is doing the work and she is fighting the battle and she's making it work little by little she is she's little by little she is setting up just like you said those expectations of how she can be treated and what she will allow in her life. And I'm just like, oh, you go girl. I'm so excited. That gives me chills. And I bet there's a lot of people out there who are in situations similar to her. And I hope they're able to set those boundaries. And if not, man, take some, take some uh, inspiration from that. It is definitely possible to do that. That's awesome for your friend. It, it is awesome. And I do. And I just I think I will throw out there, too, that it's not as black and white as a lot of people make it out to be because, you know, I have talked with her and she shared a little bit of her story with me. And it's not just she went out and she said, this is how I will be treated. And everybody in her family was like, golly, gosh, good for you. We shall now treat you accordingly. It doesn't work that way. This is an entire family structure. And so it's a lot of give and take. And some some days she doesn't have as much in her and the boundary comes back and she's not treated as well. And then other days she's able to push back. And so it's a lot of give and, give and take and back and forth. And it's a lot of adjustment and compromise. But slowly I see this give and take getting getting smaller for her where they're not pushing as much and they are learning what she's willing to accept and what she's not and she's also learning what she's capable of doing and and like you said though I really honestly think and this is I think what helps her a lot is part of it for her it's just exhaustion like all of us I mean it's hard enough dealing with our own shit let alone being expected to deal with other people's shit but I do think another piece of it is just honestly love for her I think she really does love her mother and part of this boundary setting for her is to help her mother. Because like you said earlier, you give other people the opportunity to grow when you let them do that. You give them the opportunity to go through that struggle and to learn and to become better because you haven't taken that struggle away. And I think that's why why boundaries are so hard for me because I hate letting other people struggle. Like anytime, you know, Jake is starting to struggle or like even, even though my dog's and cat, like my dog has a little trouble jumping on the couch. I'm like right there, like, I'll get you up there, baby. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I, I want to take a magic wand and fix everything. I don't want anybody I love to hurt. I don't want anybody I love to struggle. And I know that's such a disservice because 
how, how do you learn? I tried my best and I think I found some balance maybe with Ivy because there have been so many times in her life that I've seen her struggle and I've just wanted to be like, no, no, Ivy, you're not going to do that because that's stupid and it's hurting you. I'm going to take you away from that now. And I didn't because I was like, okay, Ivy is a grown ass woman. She's been taking care of herself since you know childhood with minimal help from myself. She's got this shit. And if she doesn't go through this, she's not going to learn. You know, it's like they talk about the baby bird, you know, or the the caterpillar coming out of the the egg or the chrysalis. If you interfere in that, it interferes with the process and they never really learn to grow their wings and they never really learn to use them. And I like to hope I was able to do that with Ivy and to to hide my magic wand, not that I actually have it, instead of beating her over the head with it. <laughs> it has gotten a lot better over the years. Uh, and I, I think I am one of those people that's just stubborn as hell. I do not learn from other people's mistakes. I'm like, no, I need to make this mistake for myself. I need to feel how much this sucks myself. So I am a very difficult person to wave a magic wand over because I'm like, don't you fucking dare cast that spell. I'm going to do this the hard way because I want to know what it feels like. I need to experience this myself. So even if you had tried to, to wave a magic wand over everything, fix everything, I would have given you so much pushback and it probably would have pushed us away from each other. And not everybody prioritizes that kind of independence the way that I do. I know I'm hyper independent, but that is definitely something that would have pushed me away if you had tried to fix everything for me. Because I, being self-sufficient and feeling competent and feeling that like I can do things for myself is really, really important to me. But I think even for people that don't have that same mentality, maybe especially for people that don't have that same mentality, it's really important to let people make their own mistakes and grow. You can still support somebody and encourage somebody and you know, give them reality checks without trying to fix everything for them or trying to force them down a certain path because people really do need to have their own experiences and come to their own conclusions and learn their own lessons. It's a really important part of just evolution as a person. And that doesn't mean they're not going to do stupid, reckless, dangerous things because I have done a lot of stupid, reckless, dangerous things. And I'm glad I'm still alive today. And I'm glad that I didn't go down an even worse route but that's part of it's part of growing up and it's part of becoming your own person and and developing your sense of self and becoming strong enough to live in a world that can be kind of harsh sometimes you kind of need to do that and i think i i'm not a parent but i do sometimes feel like a parent and then when i've talked to other parents in my life that express how they feel about their kids I, I think it's a similar feeling, but I do think it's really important for those parents to realize, so especially once your kid's grown, you know, not necessarily letting your toddler run into traffic, but when your child is grown or becoming that adolescent, giving them that freedom, fi finding that balance for them of, yes, being responsible for them, but stepping back and allowing them to make the mistakes they they need to make so that they can grow and not not always rescuing them, not always feeling responsible forever. I mean, there's only so much you can do as a parent. And the reality is, is you're only one influence in that child's life. I mean, yes, you're a, a big influence if you were really there for them, but there's peers, there's society, there's so many other factors in that child's life. So it's not like your success or failure 
is dependent on your child's success or failure. It's so not true. You know, you do the best you can. You give them what you can and what you're capable of, and you do the best that you can as a parent. And then at some point, you do have to step back and let them try to fly. Because if you don't, their wings, they'll never learn to use them. And they're always going to be in the nest. And that's such a disservice to them because they never learn the thrill of soaring. Boundaries really go both ways. I mean, a lot of times when we come from toxic families, we, you know, we think about, oh, we're a child and we need to set boundaries with our parents or boundaries with our caregivers. But it does go the other way. And boundaries are something you, you honestly do need, even in a normative even in a normative, healthy, loving family, you need to have those boundaries. And I think that's part of what defines a normative, loving, healthy boundary is normative, loving, healthy. Did I just say <laughs> that's part of what defines a normative, loving, healthy family is that they have right. normative, loving, healthy boundaries. And the last thing that we kind of want to uh, talk about on that, the topic of boundaries, and this is the one area that I do kind of struggle with, with boundaries, and that's with your romantic partner. That to me is one of the hardest because in my romantic relationships is where I tend to be the most self-sacrificing and I do have a harder time setting boundaries. And part of it for me is because in, in my relationships, because I am a very independent person and I want my partner to be able to be very much their own person, I am more likely to maybe give a little bit too much because, well, I don't want them to have to sacrifice themselves, even if it's hurting me. So that's been something that's been harder for me to balance. And honestly, I don't have the answers on that because it's still something that I'm learning. And I've been able to learn more about that in my current relationship. Calvin, at least, will work with me on it. And it's a back and forth for both of us. And it's difficult for both of us to set those boundaries because both of us are independent and we do have a very strong sense of self. And so we don't want to trample on the other person. But I mean, we've had, we've discovered that you have to set some boundaries because if you don't, like it is really detrimental to, to the relationship and our ideas on what it is to be in a relationship were really formed in large part by the environment that we grew up in. So one of the difficulties with setting boundaries with us has been that I want I want nothing to do with being like my parents. And so I have tried very hard to be very much not like them. And I have my ideas about what's really valuable. And like time is really valuable to me. It's more valuable to me than anything else. But the environment that Calvin was raised in with his parents is like, you work hard for your family. That is how that you show that you love your family and you care for your family. You work hard. You work as many hours as you have to. That is what's important. That's how you take care of your family. And so he'll, you know, take all these side jobs and whatnot and he's in school and, and he'll be gone for long periods of time during the day. And we've had tons of fights about time management. And part of that is because we were raised in different environments and we've had to go back and forth a lot when it comes to compromising on our boundaries, because both of us were very rigid about that in the beginning where I was like, no, I want you home at this certain time. So we had this much time together because time is the most precious commodity to me. And his was very rigid in the sense that like, I'm going to be gone for however long it takes for me to do this job. And we had a lot of fights and we've had to go back and forth about that. And it's still something that we're working out. So setting boundaries with a romantic partner can be really challenging because you're taking two people from different backgrounds and you're merging your lives together. You're merging your lifestyle together. And it does have to be a give and take and you try to balance it as equally as you can, but it's, it's not always completely equal. And it's, it's 
an equilibrium where you're constantly shifting the scales to to try and find a middle ground. Do you have any situations with Jake where you've struggled with boundaries or do you guys just like magically get along on everything? Oh, we just magically get along on everything. We're the perfect couple. Um, I think, (laughs) I think, um, I think my, my boundaries, honestly, when it comes to my intimate relationships, I actually have to be careful with how many I accidentally erect. Being autistic and having all the issues I have, I've found ways to function. And these are things I need. You know, this needs to be in that specific place. And when I feel like this, do not touch me. And you need to maintain at least three foot of distance and don't chew right now. And I I honestly, sometimes I get so caught up in myself and my own needs and my own dreams. I just whirl around like this hurricane, just kind of pulling actually more like a tornado where I'm just swirling and swirling and swirling and I'm pouring everything in and I'm carving this path to a destination I have chosen and I have to stop and remember oh wait 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 I am not the only person in this relationship maybe I should stop and check with Jake and see if he's doing okay and so I I find it's for me I I constantly we talk a lot about boundaries but it's usually I have to check in and be like hey have I been too removed lately? Have I been too controlling lately? Have I been too dictating lately? And he's 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 had to learn to say, yes, you have. You need to step back. And he has learned to do that, which has helped us a lot because the dynamic with us is I get controlling, he gets resentful, and we keep moving to the ends of that teeter-totter until we're ready to fall off. And so we've learned to communicate where he can say, hey, you know, you need to loosen the grips on the reins of our life a little bit. You need to stop bearing down on me so much or bearing down on our life because that's what it is. It is our life. And I've been like, okay. And we're able to kind of walk to the center of that teeter-totter where we can help each other balance better. So I think for me, it's more I accidentally throw out boundaries everywhere just trying to survive. And I have to be careful to to not hurt people when I do that because I throw them like brick houses. I just throw them out. And if Jake's not careful, he's going to be like the wicked witch and his little feet curl up and Dorothy stealing his slippers and shit. (laughs) But I mean, that is a perfect example of how reduced functioning also affects your, your relationships and it affects your ability to set boundaries because sometimes you may have a hard time setting boundaries at all, but then other times you may be throwing out boundaries left and right because you are reduced functioning and you're trying to function and you're trying to eliminate as many outer distractions and as many stressors as possible. And sometimes you go too rigid with it. So it's it's like a, a balancing act like everything else is. But it's, that's, it's definitely a, an indication of uh, re- reduced functioning there is trying to trying to control every little thing to make sure that things run smoothly for your reduced functioning so you don't have to be more stressed out than you already are. stealing jake's fucks so that you can replenish your own (laughs) oh i steal jake's fucks all the time (laughs) poor man (laughs) like stealing fries off of somebody's plate that's just fucked up i will i'll bite somebody who steals my food (laughs) sadly i mean jake is so used to people stealing his fries sadly i've had to teach him to bite me that's kind of what's had to happen and it's just like no slap my hand slap it do it. <laughs> that is the one area I'm really good at setting boundaries with Calvin is when it comes to food. Cause I fucking love my food and he's always trying to steal it. I'm like, Oh my God, get 
your own. Don't steal my food. I'm going to slap you. Like I won't because I love you and I don't hit people, but I want to slap you. Don't steal my food. You're an asshole. Uh, I think, okay, so moving away from boundaries, because I think we've hit that pretty good, is another coping skill is really starting to learn your cycles and working with them. And if you are different functional, the very fact that you are functional while being different probably indicates that you've got some idea of what's going on with you and some expectation. And we talked about, you know, the mental health check-ins a few episodes back. And that's part of what this is, is just learning those patterns in yourself and learning to predict what's going to happen. Because while there is some unexpected stuff in life, I'm not going to disagree with that. A lot of us that have mental illness or we come from that trauma background, if you've been doing the work, you've started to identify some of your triggers and you've started to identify some of your patterns. And so one of those coping skills is being aware of those patterns or being aware of those cycles and then working with those cycles, working with those patterns. And I know Ivy's actually really good about doing this. So I'm going to let her, her take that. This is probably the thing that I'm the best at because I've I've had to become that way because I do have so many cycles and and some of it is my bipolar. That's really where I started establishing this skill set of trying to be prepared for those cycles because what I need when I'm depressive is very different from what I need when I'm hypomanic. But since not everybody has bipolar disorder, I'm going to talk about something that is at least a little bit more common. And a lot of women will be able to uh, understand this one pretty well. I go through pretty significant things with my monthly cycle. So <laughs> referencing back to boundaries, it's like me preparing for my period is like me setting boundaries with my aunt Flo. Because I know that you know, during one week of my menstrual cycle, I will be wonderful and happy and productive and amazing. And then at another point in my cycle, I'm going be, to be depressed and sad and hopeless. And at another point, I'm going to be anxious and paranoid. And at another point, I'm going to be angry and raging. So because I know that I have these cycles and I know what happens to me internally, I've learned how to plan for those things. So on the weeks when I'm doing really well and I'm really productive, I get as much done as I can during that time. Because I know that when I, I start to dip and I'm feeling more depressed and I'm feeling more exhausted and you know, hopeless, I'm not gonna have the energy or the wherewithal to be as productive. It doesn't mean I'm completely incapacitated, but it does mean I need to be prepared for that period of lower functioning and not get mad at myself for it, not get pissed at myself and not pressure myself to do more. So I make the most of the time when I'm feeling productive and I'm feeling good so that it will offset when I'm not able to function as well. And then for those periods of time where I know I'm going to be really anxious or paranoid or, you know, more easily triggered towards anger. One of the things that I do is I, since I live with Calvin and he has, to, he's the one who has to put up with my shit. I always try to give him warning because I can feel it coming and I have a rough idea of about what time of month I'm going to start having those issues. So I give him a heads up and I'm like, Hey, it's coming up on that time again. I'm going to be more likely to be anxious. Can you pay closer attention to your phone when I text you? So I don't get worried if you don't text back right away. And it's not me trying to force him to do anything, but it is me saying, okay, I know I'm going to be lower functioning at this period of time. 
and it would be awesome if you could work with me a little bit more on it. And he does. And that communication helps us to um, avoid some of the maybe fights that might happen otherwise. Another thing that I do when I know I'm going to be more in a week of of lower functioning is I try to make my work schedule and my social schedule kind of flow with my natural cycles. So on those weeks when I know I'm going to have lots of energy, I'm going to be productive and I'm going to be on the move and I'm going to be doing good. I do schedule more massages. I do schedule recording sessions without them. I try to do as much as I can during that period of time when I know I have the energy to do it. And then I try to decrease the load when I know I'm not going to be capable of doing as much. So I started following my cycles and paying attention to my patterns and everything to help me with my bipolar disorder. But it's really translated into lots of areas of my life. And whether you have bipolar or whether you have a menstrual cycle, it doesn't really matter because everybody has cycles. And if you really start paying attention to those patterns, you'll be able to figure out what, you know, when things are likely to be harder for you, you'll be able to feel it as it's coming on. And if you learn to work with those things and be patient with yourself and be for and be forgiving to yourself, when you're not functioning as well, it helps a lot so that you're not just constantly beating up on yourself or thinking that you're worthless. There's something to be said for working with cycles. And that's something that is present in in lots of cultures. It's something that's present in lots of different types of philosophies and theologies is that everything is cyclical and different periods of time call for different things. And so if you can take that approach to your own life, that's a really effective coping mechanism for dealing with periods of reduced functioning. Be aware of your cycles, be aware of your patterns, learn what works for you, learn what you can do and what you can't do and find a way to balance your efforts and balance your resources based on you know what you feel like you're going to be capable of and what you're not. You won't be able to foresee everything, but if you start paying attention to your patterns, you will eventually get to a point where for the most part, you can get a pretty good handle on things. And I think related to that, and you actually do some of that in your own, is the idea of creating systems that work for you. And that's actually something I'm really, really, really good at is creating those systems. Because being being autistic, I'm like the rain man or I'm like Sheldon Cooper. So I get into routines very easily. I get into expectations very easily. I'm very much, you know, oh, it's 2 p.m. We do this at 2 p.m. And somebody's like, yeah, but we're not even at home. We're on vacation in France. I'm like, but we do this at 2 p.m. It's 2 p.m. We do this now. And so (laughs) I almost get into them to the point I get anxious. But for the most part, actually, the routines and the systems and the schedules, they really, really, really help me out. Because if I know something is on the schedule and it's part of the routine and it's going to happen, I don't have to be anxious about it. And since I don't have to be anxious about it, that's that many fucks I didn't spend worrying about it. Those little routines, they help manage all the little frazzled bits so I don't have to think about them. You know, when when do you feed the dogs? When do you feed yourself? When do the dishes get washed? When does the floor get swept? You know, when do you get your teeth brushed? When do you brush your hair? All of that's part of a routine. And so now I don't have to spend any time worrying about all those tiny little things because they're they're just automatically going to happen because I basically set up an automatic process for me. And I think automatic processes also are one of those systems that work. I, I cannot pay bills on time. I have tried and tried and tried. There's been points where I've also almost got the electricity turned off on myself because I couldn't pay the bill on time. Not because I didn't have the money, 
but because for some reason I struggle so bad trying to figure out when things are due. And if I paid them, I get so overthinking and confused. So what I did was I set up an auto pay on stuff. And because I also know that I suck at paying attention to how much money is in my checking account, I set up a secondary account every month. I transfer over the amount of money that I need to have in that account. And it's automatic. Anything you can do that's automatic is just amazing. Do you have any like shortcuts or automatic processes that help you out, Ivy? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, this is, <laughs> I'm really girly today, apparently. First, I'm talking about my menstrual cycle, and now I'm going to talk about makeup. Uh, but this is one of the, uh, the things that I've done to kind of simplify my life, because in my 20s, I spent a lot of time on makeup, too much time on makeup for somebody who doesn't enjoy doing it. Some people love it, and it's like a form of artistic expression for them, and all the more power to you. I did not enjoy doing it, and it took a ton of time. And I felt like I was wasting so much of my time and I was wasting so much of my money. So I started thinking about, okay, what could I cut from my makeup routine? And I realized that the main reason I wore makeup is because being a redhead, my eyelashes and my eyebrows are so blonde that you almost can't see them at all. So instead of even wearing makeup at this point, one of the things that I do to simplify my life now instead of spending a bunch of time and money on makeup is every two weeks or so, I dye my eyebrows and my eyelashes and I stopped wearing foundation. And the longer I've gone without wearing all of that makeup, the healthier my skin has gotten. And so now my skin looks fine. I don't need to cover anything up. And I just do the the eyebrow tinting and the lash tinting and, and wash my face and put on moisturizer and sunblock and I'm pretty much good. And that chopped off like an hour or more of me <laughs> getting ready every morning. Some people, they love doing that stuff. I hated it and I wanted to simplify my life in that way because I wanted to be able to spend that time doing other stuff. But yeah, that's the closest thing I think I have to a system to simplify my life. Systems are good though. And part of though with the systems is if you live with other people, you're, you're going to have to communicate those systems. And I think that's just reality across the board. If you're different functional and you're, you know, not even living with people, if you're interacting with other human beings, you're probably going to have to communicate at some point your struggles with them. You know, it, the level to which you communicate this is going to be different based on, you know, the relationship. Are they an intimate partner? Are they a business colleague? However that may look. But communication is another coping skill that's absolutely vital, 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 vital when it comes to reduced functioning. And I think for me, it's it's very much being upfront about what's going on, you know, letting somebody know. Like I I am a fucking shit show to live with. And I when Jake and I first met and he was thinking he'd like to be in this relationship forever, I was honest with him. I'm like, okay, this is me. This is what it looks like to live with me. This is the issues. This is what's gonna happen. You know, that fight we just had, that's gonna happen another 738 times this year because this is how I am and I'm very very much upfront with that and I know Ivy being the uh, queen of disclaimers as she has previously been christened is also very upfront <laughs> about about communicating you know her reduced functioning and what sh what she struggles with <laughs> I am I, I am very upfront about those things to the point where people have been like that's kind of off-putting I don't need to know all about that about all of those things about you right at the front uh, and one of my friends used to tease me about it all the time 
And as kind of a joke, once we, uh, since I'm the queen of disclaimers, she was like, all right, help me make a list of disclaimers because she had some, <laughs> some rough goes with dating guys. And she was like, all right, help me make some disclaimers so that I can have like, I don't know, a list of things that I can tell men about me right off the bat so I don't waste my time dating people that aren't right for me. So we did, we made a list of disclaimers and <laughs> we actually turned it into kind of a, a, a contract. So we made it an actual list. We, we printed out copies and that was actually something that she would do. She's a little quirky herself. Um, and she's, she's high functioning autistic and she's one of those very eccentric artsy types. And so she actually, at first it was a joke and she just thought it was funny. But then after a while she was like, you know, I actually like this. This is way more efficient. This is saving me a lot of time. Cause there's a lot of guys that are not cool with this and now I'm not, now I'm not wasting my time. And the ones that are worth hanging out with usually find it funny, but it was kind of like a, a crazy acknowledgement contract. It was basically, these are the list of all of my issues. Please sign and date to indicate that you acknowledge that you are aware of these things and you wish to proceed further. So I, I considered that to be a success. Uh, I tried to do that briefly, but then my list of disclaimers kept changing. And I was like, Ugh, I don't have a printer and I don't, don't feel like updating this all the time. And not everybody wants to sign this contract, which is very disappointing. I wish everybody had those because that would be, that would be bomb. That was one of the best things about Calvin is he just dumped everything on me when we first started dating about all of his issues. And I was like, fuck yes. Somebody who just tells me up front, this one's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Communication is important. And it's not something you want to be blindsided by, especially if you're in an intimate relationship. You don't want to move in with somebody after dating them for a year and find out this is what they need to survive. You really want to know. You want to, you want to be able to work with that person. And you don't want to blindside that person. If you do love them and you do care about them, it's not about going out and complaining about all this stuff. It's it's about explaining yourself. And that's the big thing. You don't want to whine about it. It's not like, oh, poor me. I struggle with getting out of bed. And, you know, I have so much anxiety and I'm so exhausted. It's not a whining session. I mean, there are times for those. There are times for venting. But when you're communicating like this, it's more just this is what happens. This is what goes on with me. And it's also setting expectations. That's That's been a really big one in my relationship is setting expectations. I've talked again and again about certain things that have to be in certain places. That's an expectation I've set with Jake. And another one is physical contact because when I, when I do start to get overwhelmed, I get sensorily overwhelmed. And there are certain times when I cannot tolerate being touched or having somebody near me. And I, I just needed to communicate with him because if he did not know this was what was going on, what I'm doing feels very rejecting because he'll come in for a hug and I'll be like, don't hug me, don't touch me. And that sounds very rude and very aggressive and very rejecting, especially to an intimate partner. But early, early, early in the relationship, I explained to him what was going on. And I said, you know, I have sensory issues. And when I start to get overwhelmed and I start to get anxious, everything gets to be too much and I have got to have space. And if you come in on me, that's going to escalate that sensory even more and I'm going to lose my shit. And so I love you very much. And in this moment, I'm not going to be able to tell you that. I'm going to tell you to step back. And you're, there's no point in being hurt because it's not about you. It's about me trying to not lose my shit. 
And so I do let him know that. And I set that expectation out at the beginning that I need this from you. And I need you to be able to, to work with me on this and not feel constantly rejected if I push off touching you. The other part of that, though, is also setting expectations on his end, because he does have needs too, that once I calm down, I'm able to meet back with him and, and address that issue or provide that need that he needed filled for a hug or connection or whatever it was. So it's setting those expectations, you know, both ways. And I think that even goes not just in an intimate relationship, but just friends and acquaintances, setting up expectations with your friends, especially if you're not social. I think Ivy does this quite a bit. Yeah, I really do. Uh, and I, it's like that from the very beginning. If I decide that there's somebody that like, yeah, I would actually like to have a friendship with this person. I'm really honest with them right off the bat about my my capacity for social interaction. If it's somebody that I don't really care about, because around here in Seattle, it's just like everybody does this where they're just like, oh, yeah, this is so much fun. We should We should get together for coffee sometimes. And then you just never do it. So I, you know, I'll play by those rules unless it's somebody I actually want to have some sort of meaningful connection with. And if that's the case, I, I always tell them, I actually do want to meet up and hang out, uh, but I am only capable of doing something social maybe once or twice a month. So I am genuine in my wanting to spend time with you. I'm not just doing the Seattleite thing, but I have very limited capacity for social interaction and I need warning. So I am not somebody that you can just call up and be like, Hey, let's go out for drinks tonight because I'm going to be like, no, I, I, I don't have enough time to mentally and emotionally prepare for that. So I need to schedule something out, but I genuinely want to hang out with you. It's just not going to be super often. And that has actually helped me snag a couple of really good friends and they just understand that about me. And I also let them know like I'm terrible about texting back because I am. I'm absolutely awful about it. You might text me and maybe I'll answer back right away. But chances are it's probably going to be like a few days or a couple weeks later. And it's not because I don't care. It's because I'm that it, that's just what I'm capable of because that social stuff is where if I am having a hard time functioning, that's where that's going to be where I cut from first every time because that's the one area I feel like I can cut from because so many other things feel so much more pressing. I have to work and my boyfriend is a priority to me and making sure that our bills are paid is a priority to me and you know, cleaning our apartment and making sure that I have myself together and doing all of those things, those are so much more pressing to me and social stuff is always where I trim from. So I always try to make it really clear to the people in my life that I care about. It's like, no, I do care about you. It's just, I am only capable of so much and this is what I'm capable of. And if you are cool with that, like I would love to get closer and I would love to hang out. And I think it's also really important to keep those lines of communication open because what is an issue today may not be an issue tomorrow or what you're struggling with now, you may do work and progress on and you're not struggling with that so much later or you're struggling with it more. So I think it's really open to keep those lines of communication open so you can adjust and be adaptable and, and just keep a constant check-in on where you're going, you know, whether that's an intimate relationship or that's a friendship relationship. And I think even in business relationships, communication is also important. And we're not, I'm not even just talking coworkers right here, but I'm also talking like an actual business, like the corporate entity of a business. Uh, when you have reduced functioning, that communication can be vital. I don't know if everybody knows out there, but if you are actually diagnosed from a, a medical professional or a mental health licensed professional, if you are actually diagnosed with a mental health disorder or a mental illness, 
that could be considered a disability for which you can receive an accommodation. So if you are significantly depressed and you are struggling, you may be able and be you know, legally entitled to receiving an accommodation from your work to help with that. Now, businesses only have to allow accommodations if it's not a hardship on the business. So, you know, you can't just say, well, I want to be able to not show up whenever I feel like. That's not an accommodation they can make. But they could put an accommodation if you're transitioning from medications that they reduce your hours, or maybe they don't put you on the sales floor, they put you in the back. There's different accommodations that can be made. So if you are reduced functioning and you're having struggles at work, you may want to talk to your, your therapist or your doctor, as well as your HR, and say, you know, this is what I'm needing. I'm finding an issue with this. What can we do to help with that? So communicating with others, both personally, but also on that like official business note, could can be very important and can definitely help you when it comes to reduced functioning because you're going to find find ways to help deal with that reduced functioning. And one other note that I want to make when it comes to like effective communication, and this is something that a lot of people struggle with, but especially if you're reduced functioning because you're overwhelmed or because you deal with depression or you deal with anxiety. But even if you don't, one of the things that happens a lot in communication where things fall apart is that people get stressed out, if it, especially if it is a a conflict of sorts and people tend to either go into they're complaining or they're playing the blame game or things like that and that's where communication falls apart because then both people get really defensive or aggressive or confrontational or they shut down and one of the the things that has been really helpful for me ever since i heard this there's a there's an author that i really love and i think i've mentioned him in one other episode before terence real and there's a book that he wrote on uh, communication between couples, and he's also referenced this in a few of his other books, but he talks about that, where that communication starts to fall apart, where the defensiveness comes in, the blame game and the complaining and the anxiety and all of that stuff. And he, he always says, at the center of every complaint is a request. So if you can phrase things as a request instead of a complaint or instead of a blaming thing, that really helps the communication flow better. So instead of saying something along the lines of like, I really don't appreciate how you're talking to me. This feels very disrespectful. You can phrase it as I really want to hear what you're saying to me. And I could understand and hear it a lot better if you would lower your voice just a little bit because I want to know what you're saying and I want to be able to communicate with you and work this out. But it would help me a lot if you could just lower your voice a little bit. And that's an example that he actually uses for communication. And I love that. And I have really tried to incorporate that in my own life because a lot of times when I have a communication breakdown, especially with my partner, I am feeling very emotional and I'm feeling very anxious. And because I've gone through so much therapy, we use these I messages like, I feel this way and all of that. A lot of times in the past, I the way that I would phrase things, it would just be so emotionally draining for him. And what I have done now is try to simplify what I'm saying and try to phrase it in a way that is not confrontational at all, where I'm phrasing it as a request. And that has helped a lot because then he doesn't feel cornered and he doesn't feel like I'm attacking him or that 
he's a terrible person or whatever. It's just, oh, okay, we had a communication breakdown. All right, we'll, we'll try to do better next time. So if you are struggling with it because you get really emotional or anxious or depressed or whatever, and you find yourself complaining or you find yourself getting really emotionally worked up, try to figure out what it is that you're actually wanting and try to phrase things as a request instead of a complaint. And you don't always have to give a long lengthy explanation for why you want something. Just try to keep it simple and efficient. I, I think on the point of effective communication too, is also giving each other the time to respond. And, and this can be one person, it can be both persons, but I am an extremely loquacious person. Whatever I say, it falls out of my face. I just talk, talk, talk all the time. It's how I think. My partner is not the same way at all. He takes a lot of time to gather his thoughts and to be able to communicate. So a lot of times our fights, if you want to call them that, or our arguments or our disagreements, I guess would be a better word, may last one or two weeks. And that's because I may have to say my piece and then I give him time to collect his thoughts and then he comes back to me. And so it's okay, one, to ask for that time and be like, I do want to address this issue. I just need some time to gather my thoughts before I get back to you and then just make sure you get back to them and maybe even set a deadline. You know, I will get back to you by the end of this week. And then the other thing is make sure if you are one of those talker, talker, talkers, if you get into a, into a relationship where you're working with somebody that isn't a talker, 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 you give them that space to to find time to talk. Another coping skill also when you have reduced functioning is learning to share the load. And this can actually be extremely hard for us. So those of us that are controlling, those of us that are over maternal and take on too much, those that undervalue themselves and don't think they deserve help, all of us, we really need to learn to share the load. Because when you have reduced functioning, you just may literally not have enough to get things done. And it's just like living in an expensive city, you may need one or two roommates in order to make ends meet. That's nothing to be ashamed of, it's just real life. Life is expensive. And we're able to admit that with finances and we also need to be able to admit that with our own internal resources, our own spoons, our own fucks, and say, you know, I don't have enough fucks to meet life's requirements, to meet life's expenses, I need a roommate with this to help pay towards that bill. But in this case, that that's not necessarily a roommate. It's somebody that you actually ask to help. And I know this one is, is really hard for me, not so much because I take on too much or not because I'm over maternal, but it's because I have no trust in other human beings at all. And so this was actually an argument that Jake and I, my boyfriend and I, we had a lot during the beginning of our relationship was I would get so angry at him because I'm like, I am doing all the chores around the house. Why are you never helping? And, you know, he wasn't really sure and he was having a hard time identifying it. So we actually stopped and we kind of did some behavior analysis because that's the kind of person I am. And I took track of what was going on. And what actually happened was I would ask him to do something or I would give him the responsibility of doing something. And then either before he would do it, I would say, oh, no, don't do that. I'll do it. Or when he was doing it, I would get all up on him and direct him the entire way of how he should do it. So basically, we came up with the analogy. It was like we had a chore deck, a deck of cards, and each one was a chore. And I would give him his hand, and I'd be like, okay, this is your deal. And then before he even had a chance to look at him, 
I'd start taking his cards back and be like, oh no, you can't do that one. You can't do that one. You can't do that one. And so I would be getting upset because he wasn't helping me. But the reality was I wasn't letting him help me. This can be very, very difficult, especially for those of us that are controlling or over maternal, or I imagine even for you, Ivy, being hyper independent, it's got to be hard asking to share the load or learning to share the load. I am miserable at that. I'm still no good at sharing the load. Um, because for me, if we're using the, the deck of cards as, as an analogy, for me, because I am so hyper independent and I've been doing things for so long, it doesn't even occur to me to distribute any cards to anybody. Um, I don't delegate. I wouldn't want to be a supervisor because I'm like, why don't you have your own cards? This is not my fucking responsibility to give you cards and you're going to make my cards dirty or you're going to bend them or you're going to ruin them somehow. Get your own cards, figure it out yourself. And I'm even like that to a degree with, with Calvin and that is one of the disagreements that we've had is that when I decide that I'm going to do something, I just do it and if he jumps in to help me i won't stop him because i do trust him but i also won't ask for help and if i get to it before he gets to it then i'm just going to do it and there's been so many times when i have when i've decided i'm going to clean the apartment and i will start cleaning the apartment and i will get it all done before he gets home from work or from school and he gets back and he's like, oh, I'll clean the bathroom. And I'm like, but I already cleaned the bathroom. And he's like, why did you do that? You didn't leave anything for me to clean. Well, because I was cleaning and I was already there and I was already cleaning. So I just did it. So that's how I am with, uh, with sharing the load, which is miserable, which is, well, if you get to it before I do, you can do it. And it's reached a point now where it's so, so ridiculous that calvin when when we eat dinner at night he will like hover over me like a vulture waiting for me to be done with my plate and he will yank it out of my hands as soon as i am as soon as i have like picked up the last bite with my fork i will still have the food on my fork and he'll yank the plate out of my hands to go wash it for me because he knows otherwise I will get to it before him. And he's, and you know, he's always like, no, you're not allowed to do dishes. You hardly let me do anything around you. You're not allowed to do your own dishes. So that's how it affects me uh, is just, I take on so much of the load. And that's part of the reason why I, I have a hard time making time for any of the stuff that I really want to do. What stresses me out is thinking like, no, it's not that I don't trust Calvin to do it right or not trust him to do it at all. But I'm like, no, but I want the entire apartment cleaned today. And he may not get a chance to clean the bathroom until tomorrow. And then the whole schedule is set off. You know, it's just easier if I get it done today and then neither of us has to stress about it. It'll just be done. But then I create all of this work for myself that I don't need to, because he would help if I would just be patient enough to let him do things, but I'm not. Cause I'm like, it needs to be done now. And I am here now, so I will take care of it. I don't get mad at him for it because I know it's me. Like, I, I know that I could leave things for him to do and he would do them. But I don't do that because I'm like, but I want it done now. <laughs> I think one of the things to remember and one of the things that kind of helped me with this. And, and I know love languages are usually used in romantic relationships, but I feel this can also be in friendships. It can also be in families as well. A lot of people have the love language of service, of wanting to do things for you to show that they love you. And so if you are with somebody that does have that service love language, every time you refuse to let them help you, 
that's a rejection to them. Let's like somebody coming in to hug you and you say, nope, you don't get to hug me. I'll hug myself. It's okay. It, it's kind of hurty. It's a little rejecty. And so remember that, especially if you're one of those people that is afraid to ask or feel like you're not worth enough, or maybe you're just too controlling. Try to think about it that way too, that the other person may actually want to help you and finding a way that, that you can let them help you, finding a way that they can be of service to you is going to help both of you. It's going to help them meet the needs to feel like they're showing they love you and they are giving to you what they want because they do love you. And you're going to have more fucks to spend on other stuff because you didn't have to spend it on that. Like, you're right. In some ways, it is kind of selfish. And I, I know that's why Calvin gets agitated with me sometimes because he wants to do things for me and he wants to be sweet to me and he wants to help me out. And so many times I just don't let him because I'm like, but I, I did it because it needed to be done and I was already doing things. So I figured I would do that too. And it's not a big deal. And he's like, no, it is a big deal because I wanted to do something. I wanted to help. <laughs> it is kind of a selfish, kind of a selfish thing. And so maybe in this case, the sharing, the sharing the load actually goes to you and you need to share the load of his need to, to love you. And so you need to help pick up his load and leave the bathroom dirty. So maybe look at it that way. Don't play Just... mind tricks with me. <laughs> Well, that's the truth. I mean, you can get caught up in me, like my relationship where I'm like, oh, there's another person in this relationship. How crazy. Or, or you can look at it from there because the other person has needs too. And obviously his need is to be able to do some form of service so that he can show he loves you. And so share that load, share that responsibility with him and, and allow him to do that. That's sharing the load that he needs to, that he needs to carry. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, you're, you're right. And it's, it's another way in which I'm being selfish about it is because I'm like, well, I don't want him to have to worry about it when he gets home. I want him to be able to relax when he gets home. So I'm just like, I'll do everything and not have time for anything myself because I don't want him to worry about it because I love him. So no, it's <laughs> the weird mental gymnastics that we, that we all do to justify our behavior. It's just like, it would be better if I just let him help me because he wants to help me. He genuinely wants to, and it would mean less work for me to do, but no, just like, no, but it needs to be done now. And plus I love him. So I don't want him to have to do anything at all ever. <laughs> now, I don't know if the rest of you listeners out there right now are also just like losing sympathy just a little bit with Ivy, because it's like, I don't want to do the chores. My partner doesn't want to do the chores. Fuck their issues where everybody wants to do the chores or they're just a little jealous and like, okay, could you lend him to me for a month? I'll let him clean everything. I don't fucking care. I'll sit on my ass on the couch eating bonbons. I will like peg Bundy this shit up. He can clean. You, Ivy, you can go to somebody else's house. You clean. You guys are great. You both get your service in. You go back home and then you can sort out whatever's going on there. I'm just saying. <laughs> but if we both go to other people's places to clean, then we'll get home and our place will be dirty. I don't know. We're going to have to alternate weeks as to which one of us goes somewhere else to clean. <laughs> That'll work. I'm fine with uh, that. You both like it so much. <laughs> All right. Well, now I totally feel like a dick on every level. Just like making other people jealous with my humble brag that I didn't realize was a humble brag. Because in my mind, I was just like, but we're talking about cleaning and I do the cleaning because I love him and I don't want to have to worry about it and I need it done now. I didn't even think about it as being a humble brag. Now I really no. feel like a dick and I'm no. blushing like crazy too. I don't even know why I'm embarrassed. <laughs> It's, it's sweet. It's sweet that you guys love each other. And it's amusing the different, the different struggles every couple has. And that's, it's just awesome. But we'll move on. We'll get back focused. Um, the different coping skills. 
that you can do with reduced functioning is sharing the load, whatever that ends up looking like in your relationship. Another way, another coping skill, and this kind of goes a little bit more towards changing society a little bit, but is normalizing the struggle. You don't have enough fucks to give. You shouldn't have to be ashamed of that. If you are doing your best and you are trying your hardest, don't be ashamed of this. It's okay. You know, a person is poor even though they work three jobs. They shouldn't be ashamed of that. They're doing their damnedest. They're doing everything they can. There's no shame that they don't have enough money at the end of the month. That's just the reality of it. And that's how it is when you have mental illness or you come from that trauma background, you struggle with reduced functioning. There's no, no shame. You know, there's this, I think, Facebook joke I read a while back about how, you know, cleaning tip number 43 when you don't have the energy to clean, but somebody comes over, just pull the vacuum out and set it there like you were going to. You know, don't even do that. Just don't bother pulling the vacuum out to pretend like you were going to clean. That's a thing? People do that? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't, you, you probably wouldn't know about that because your house is always clean. But, but yeah, that's the thing. You, If you have a dirty floor and you're ashamed of it, you pull the vacuum out and you pretend like you were about to clean. I'm so ridiculous. I don't even want people to know that I own a vacuum. Like if my vacuum is out, I'm like, uh, <laughs> they know that I have to work at cleaning. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. What the fuck? Not that it matters. I never have anybody over. So it's not like, it's not like that matters at all. But to me, I'm like, but that is... That is evidence of the effort that it takes to make this happen. I don't want to show that off. I'm certainly not going to use it as an excuse. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I'm just a I'm just a weird fucking person again who's obsessed with cleanliness. Maybe there's something no. wrong with me. <laughs> I think what you said there though too is the idea of you don't even want to show that there was effort that went into it. And I think you know what though I think that's really really valid as normalizing the struggle overall. Like so many yeah. of us especially social media. And, and Ivy, if I have had this conversation before, they're so focused on success story and you have to be growing and you have to be doing, and you can't show that you're extending effort to achieve just that you're achieving. You know what? Fuck yeah. that. Fuck that. We all need to rest. We all need time. Don't be ashamed of that. So today you did not continue to grow. You backslid into horrible behaviors. You ate bonbons. You sat on your ass. You gained six pounds. So the fuck what? You'll start growing again tomorrow. Take a break. Don't be ashamed of the struggle. I didn't even realize that that would be an embarrassing thing for me to let somebody see my vacuum cleaner until just now. I did not realize that would be something that would embarrass me. That's... Okay, well, that's something I got to sit with with, with myself because that is ridiculous. This is definitely one of the things that uh, I do struggle with as far as image goes. I'm not a super image-driven person in the sense that, that I, I see a lot of other people being image-driven by. I don't want to seem like I have a bunch of fancy possessions. I don't want to live in a gigantic house. I don't want to you know, show that I have this job where I make... You know, six figures or like I that stuff's not important to me but what is important to me is looking like I have my shit together because for so long I couldn't get my shit together at all and I always felt like people viewed me as being weak or incompetent or whatever and so I got up in my head where I'm just like no I want people to see me 
in a certain way and the people the way i want them to see me is being strong and competent and capable and so now i do have these hang-ups about how people see me as far as like my work ethic and how well i have my life together and organized like i would be embarrassed for anybody to see the inside of my car right now it's not filthy but it's cluttered and i'm like but it's so it's not organized i don't want people to see the inside of my car because it's not organized and, it, and it's obvious i don't have my shit together which is so stupid because you're right we should be normalizing that this is just life even the most functional capable people they still have those those areas of their life where they're not on top of everything or they have periods of time where they're not on top of everything but there is a lot of stigma around it because like autumn said we're, people only want to see the success story or that you're on your way to being a success story they don't want to see the the evidence that you're not on 100 of the time and you're not on top of things 100 of the time and you don't have everything in this vice grip of control we've really glorified in society this idea that you should have a vice grip control of every single facet of your life and you should be amazing and productive and successful with everything because that's not realistic and even those of us who normally you know buck societal standards i'm still guilty of that part of the reason i run myself into the ground working so hard on everything is because i part of me wants to be seen as being so capable that i can run myself into the ground and it is stupid and i'm damaging myself doing it but i still get stuck in that pattern of doing it because the programming runs deep but autumn's it, right like you 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 can't be ashamed of this shit. this is what it is to be alive it, it is what it is to be alive and even just simple things whether it be cleaning whether it be acknowledging that you didn't get put together this morning. I know one of the things I spend so much of my resources on is controlling my emotions because my emotions get away with me a lot. And there was a few months ago with my PTSD, something at work triggered me. And what ended up happening was I was crying and I could not stop crying. And you know what I decided to do? Sit there and still work. I didn't make a huge issue of it, but I also wasn't embarrassed. I didn't run to the bathroom. I didn't try to pretend I wasn't crying. I just cried. And it wasn't a huge thing. But I also didn't hide it and I wasn't ashamed of it. And that was super scary for me because that is one of my things. I don't like losing my shit in public. I like to think that I've got myself together, that I'm not falling apart, that I'm not crazy. And I like to hope that the couple, three people that saw me crying maybe took that in and later on they'll do the same. They'll normalize it. They'll be like, you know what? I am not okay. And here it is. And that's it. It's not this huge thing. It's not a giant big, wow, my God, look at me. I'm not okay. It's not a thing. It just is. It's just life. You know, we're not all the highlight reels, as Ivy has said. It's real life. Yeah, I actually had a, an experience at work, too. They, I, I think it's a good example of this. And it also shows how when we normalize these things, it can actually help us form bonds with people or at least a sense of empathy and understanding with people that maybe we wouldn't normally. So I'm not somebody that normally gets close to coworkers at all. Uh, I keep my distance. I try to fly under the radar. I don't let people know a whole lot about me because I've gotten too close to people in the past at work and it's created all this drama. So I just try not to do that now. And so my last, my last job that I had for quite a while, uh, I was there for about six years and hardly anybody there knew anything about me because I really kept to myself that much. But there was one day that 
it, I was going through a hard time and just straw that broke the camel's back. I had done a, I had done a hot stone massage and we had the, the hot stone warmer on a cart and the hot stones in order to keep them warm, you keep them submerged in hot water. And so as I was leaving the room with the cart that had the hot stone warmer on it, one of the, the wheels on the cart broke and the entire hot stone warmer with all of the stones just slid backward onto me and I was soaked in hot water. I made a ton of noise in, in a massage establishment, which is not something you want to do all this clattering and everything. And I was shaking so bad afterward because I'd already been on edge and my adrenaline was going even worse now. And I got back to the break room and I'd gotten the, the hot stones back there and I was shaking and I was crying and because I'm just in this mode of like, no, I need to just, I, I got to keep going and I got to keep doing things. I'm soaked and I'm standing there in front of the sink and I'm trying to clean these hot stones. And a couple of my coworkers came up behind me. One of them came up and she was like, you are not cleaning those. Get out of the way. I am cleaning that for you. And another one of my coworkers, she she came up to me and I had never really spoken that much to this particular coworker. I knew she had some mental health stuff too and she also had some struggles, but I'd never talked to her about it. But she came up to me and she was just like, she she was so angry on my behalf. She was like, they, this is not safe. They need to have safe equipment for us. This is not okay. And I just looked at her. I got tears streaming down my face. I just looked at her and I just like I fell over onto her and was like hugging her and my knees gave out from underneath me and I, I collapsed on my knees and I was crying and she was so sweet and so understanding and she was so angry on my behalf that this equipment broke and she didn't know what else I'd been going through but she could see that I was upset in that moment and she just held me and she was angry for me and she was trying to be just supportive and encouraging and this is somebody that I never really spoken to before and I came across as pretty cold to most of my coworkers because I just tried so hard to keep my distance so that people wouldn't see my crazy and so I wouldn't have I wouldn't create all this drama around me but even though I had been kind of cold and I hadn't really interacted with her in the entire you know at that point five years that I'd been there she still just embraced me and accepted me because she knew the struggle because she had experienced a struggle herself so for her there was no shame in this she just saw me as somebody in need at that moment and she just let me <laughs> soaking wet she just let me cling to her and she just sat with me while i was in that moment and all of my coworkers that were in that area at the time were super sweet even though i normally was just such a aloof person and always kept to myself and kind of monotone when I talked and didn't really talk much at all but they all just rallied around me and it was it was such a a reality check thing for me to recognize that no everybody has these struggles on some level and it's okay to show weakness and it's okay to show this this vulnerability and it's okay to fall apart sometimes because most people unless you're just a royal asshole most people will be understanding 
and you can form a bond with with those people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to have otherwise. And even though I'm I don't really stay in super close contact with that coworker now that we've both gone our separate ways, I will always have a soft spot for her and I will always be so grateful to her that she held me in that moment when I needed somebody to hold space for me. And I'll always be really thankful to that other coworker who like pushed me out of the way when I was trying to clean these stones and was just like, no, you are not doing this right now. Let us help you. So it is important to normalize this. And it is important to just sometimes just be in that moment and sometimes just feel it, you can't do it all the time, but there are times when you can, and there are times when you can't help it, and that is okay. Do not be ashamed, and let other people be there for you, because most people can can at least point back to one point in their life where shit fell apart for them, and they really needed somebody there for them, and they're paying it forward to you. And that's, I think that's the other piece of it, too, in normalizing the struggle is not being ashamed yourself. But when you do have the fucks to give, when you do have the extra resources in yourself, being there to let the other person know it's okay. Being that stronger person in the moment and allowing them to be okay and normalizing it for them. So it's both in yourself and paying that forward in others. And then another coping skill is, of course, just finding ways to get more fucks. You know, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. You, you need to, you need to place in them. I'm not meaning that. That sounds kind of, you know what I mean? We'll call them spoons in this instance. Find a way to get more spoons. But basic self-care. I mean, that's different for everybody. Some people, that means socializing. Some people, it means isolation. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's a glass of wine. Maybe it's hanging out with your dogs, taking a hike, buying yourself a new dress, Whatever Maybe for some people, it's literally getting more fucks. <laughs> Maybe it is getting more fucks. But just be safe out there, guys. <laughs> it is, you, you've got to find ways to replenish. If you're spending, spending, spending all the time, it's, it's not going to work. You're going to run out and you've got to find a way to get more. So find a way to self-care. Another thing, too, is uh, along with that self-care thing, sometimes you have to think of your com- yourself as a computer. Sometimes you just have to restart. And when I say that in this context, I mean, maybe take a break, go for a day trip, go on a vacation, um, just do something out of the ordinary, just so you can have a reset for your brain. If you normally you're just so focused on working all the time or whatever, take a day off or half a day off and go do something you would normally never do. Go to a museum or go to a concert or go hang out at the park for a while. Just do something that's different that allows your brain to reset and get out of that mode of I got to do things all the time. I got to be productive all the time. I have to be functioning all the time. The last coping skill I want to touch on too then is just to celebrate the success. And I talked about this a little bit in the trauma blogs I wrote on our website. But for a lot of us that come from a dysfunctional family, if we do have the mental illness, you know, we're climbing that mountain to success. Well, the reality is, is we didn't start at the base of the mountain. Somebody dug a pit and we had to climb out of that pit and then begin our climb of the mountain. So maybe you're only a quarter way up of the mountain and everybody else you know is halfway up. Look at how far you've come, though. You're not coming from the base of the mountain. You're coming from the bottom of that pit. And maybe you haven't even started your climb of the mountain and you're just trying to get out of the pit still. Well, look at how far you've made it. Look at what you're doing. Look at the fact that you've recognized this area you're in and you're doing your best to get out of it and to free yourself. So celebrate the successes when you have them. 
you've come a long way. The fact that you are functional at all, the fact that you are working, the fact that you are growing, the fact that you are struggling and trying is success. And there are days that you will nail that shit. Be proud of yourself and pat yourself on the back. Don't undermine that. That's awesome. That's awesome what you're doing. So celebrate those successes when you have them. And then if all else fails with, with these coping skills, if you're really having a hard time and you need some additional assistance, first of all, there's no shame in that either. Sometimes getting a little bit of outside help is really, really important and it can help way more than you might think. So if you're having a hard time being able to take care of yourself or being able to work, being able to maintain your relationships, seek help if you need it. Uh, we'll include some resources on our website to give you some ideas where you can search out some different resources for professional help or help with other things like food banks and programs that help you pay bills and finding free stuff for kids. We're not going to have resources to absolutely everything, but we'll try to throw out a few resources there. On the note of getting professional help as far as counseling goes, I found my therapist through Open Path, which is a website. It's a it's a network of lots of different mental health practitioners and they do things on a sliding scale. So every practitioner that's on there, it's they charge between 30 to $60 per session, which these days is very, very cheap. It's a huge network of therapists that are on there and you can look through their profiles and you can see what they specialize in and you can get a feel for who they are. And that was an awesome resource for me. Without that, I would not have been able to afford to get any assistance. And if you are under a certain economic pay bracket or whatever you want to call it, tax bracket, you may be able to get some government assistance to help you pay for counseling as well. So, I mean, there's there are options out there. Uh, don't give up on getting help from a professional counselor if you really feel like you need it. There are resources out there. And there's also support groups and stuff like that, that some of those things are completely free. So there's always always places that you can turn to to get some professional help. There is. And, and don't feel ashamed either if you need if you need that help. And I think it goes beyond just the professional help and the therapy because there's enough stigma around that, that there's also a lot of stigma around going to a food bank or going to those programs that help you pay the bills or even just doing the like the free Christmas gifts for your kids when you're struggling near the holidays. There's all this stigma around that, you know, about being poor or not having enough resources. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for mental health help. And it is okay to ask for financial support or practical life help as well. So I think that pretty much wraps up everything we were going to say today. So I will let Ivy throw out our connecty bits. There's almost everything that we were going to say today. One other thing though, if you need to seek help, it doesn't always have to be professional help. Like you can seek out help from people that are in your life. Find people in your life that you can trust and that are loving and accepting and encouraging. Find those people that have got that good energy that will be there for you. That's That can be incredibly beneficial and incredibly helpful for you. A lot of times we have it in our heads, like, well, I don't want to be a burden to the people that I love. But it's just like what we were talking about earlier with like sharing the load. Sometimes that is part of it. The people that love you want to be there for you. They want to they want you to feel as though you can rely on them, that you can lean on them a little bit. Maybe even the friends that you think are struggling too much to 
offer anything up to you and you don't want to be a burden on them. I have a couple of friends that both of us have been struggling at the same time, but we lean on each other and it helps us to get through. We, we don't have much to offer to anybody, but giving the, the limited amount that we have to each other and being like, I at least see your struggle and I'm there with you and I love you and we're going to get through this. Both of us are going to get through this. Having that kind of help is really awesome too. It doesn't always have to be professional help. And if you genuinely can't afford professional help or you can't, you're not in a space where you can bring yourself to ask for that kind of help, at least try to reach out to the people in your life that love you or the people in your life that you can count on. If you're religious, maybe seek out your preacher or whatever. Let yourself lean on somebody at least some of the time and don't be ashamed to do that. So yeah, that was the last note I was going to make. And now I will give you our connecty bits, as Autumn calls them, with her finger guns, or our pluggables, as I call them, mostly because I hear it called pluggables on every other podcast. So I just assume that's the word you use. But anyway, you can find us on Facebook as Different Functional. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok as Different underscore Functional. You can find us on Twitter as Diff underscore Functional at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. We would love it if you would like, subscribe, follow, comment, do all of those things. And since word of mouth is still such a powerful way to spread the word about awesome things like our podcast. At least we hope you think that our podcast is awesome. We really hope you think that. And if you do, please tell your friends about us or uh, share some of our stuff on social media or I don't know, something. Just tell people about us, please. We need exposure. And if you, <laughs> <laughs> not indecent exposure, just Ex just regular decent exposure, exposure. decent exposure <laughs> yeah, we, we need i decent. suggest screaming and flyers like go to a tall <laughs> building and scream how amazing we are and drop flyers into the street i'm just kidding don't actually do that that's probably indecent exposure anyways uh, yeah i mean it might get you tackled by the police too that's probably not the best of things uh, but yes uh exposure would be would be good. No indecent exposure, nothing that's going to get you in trouble with the law. Just, you know, tell your friends about us. That would be awesome. And uh, if you want to support us monetarily, because you are going to take pity on us and <laughs> our lack of our lack of funds, we're trying to make this podcast better. We're, we're still starting out. So if you want to uh, help us have more time and uh, resources to put towards this podcast so we can keep making it better and stop being quite so awkward and clumsy with it, you can find us on Patreon as Different Functional because we are on, as Different Functional on fuck all everything. So find <laughs> us be Different Functional everywhere. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And as always, remember, different does not mean defective. Mom.